0: to Gutsy Matters Podcast, brought to you by StoredNaturally.com. I'm Wendy Allen. And I'm Helen Reynolds. Gutsy Matters Podcast is for independent thinkers who aren't afraid to stand out from the crowd.
1: Our conversations are with people who, like us, are willing to create something they believe in, something that helps us all to live more sustainably, more consciously, and with greater connection.
0: We're delighted you're joining us to discover, uncover and create opportunities and perspectives about health, wealth and sustainable living.
1: How often do you hear people say that things don't last as long as they used to, or that they bought an item that stopped working not long after purchasing it? The War on Waste states that over 85% of furniture we put on the curb isn't recycled – and is instead sent to landfill. We've become a throwaway society. Did you know that there is 540 kilos of household waste produced in Australia per person each year? That's more than 10 kilos for every single person every single week. Every year the waste we generate is growing at twice the rate of our population. We need to change our attitudes and behaviours when it comes to waste. An organisation
0: that is doing just that is the Bower Reuse and Repair Centre based in Sydney, New South Wales. Bower is an environmental charity committed to reducing landfill. They have pioneered programs to reduce the amount of waste by reclaiming household items for reuse, repair and resale and by encouraging communities to engage in repurposing of pre-loved goods. They've been playing a vital role for more than 20 years, fostering a culture of sustainability. And today it is our great pleasure to chat to Bower Reuse and Repair Centre's General Manager, Guido Verbist. Welcome, Guido.
2: Hey, hello. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you. It's lovely to have you. So, we're just going to kick off by actually starting with the question about how did Bower reuse and repair center start, and what inspired you to become involved
2: yeah well how how many hours do we have for that <laughs> um it started exactly twenty one we we just became adults um and it was with an, um, a sort of an uh, offshoot of Reverse Garbage, if you have heard of that organization. That's yes. another re- recycling center in the uh, in the west, Sydney metropolitan area. And um, there was a group of teachers at the time that uh, had this idea that there should be also a place where you can collect uh, household items and building material because reverse garbage is more specialized in uh, end of product end of stocks uh, more more uh, what they call industrial waste than uh, household waste items and um so they set it up uh, 21 years ago and we got a grant at the time from the government to build a purpose built uh, warehouse with reclaimed building material straw bale building at the time, the first one in Sydney. And um, ever since, we have uh, operated from that same space in the Merrickville Addison Road Community Center. Um, And yeah, I've been uh, brought, it has been brought to my attention roughly seven years ago. I I came from, I come from Belgium. I moved here more than 10 years ago. I was doing a different job uh, when I came here. But then um, there was a Option to uh, become the manager. There was a vacancy of this uh, organization, and I had been doing similar things in Europe, in Belgium, where I've managed previously also a reuse and repair centers. And I thought this is uh, this, the objectives of this organization, is, is is exactly in line with what I think is needed, what, what could help uh, progressing the idea of reuse and repair. So I applied, I got the job. and. And now I'm in my seventh year uh, running the organization.
1: Wow, that's um, it's an incredible match that you had from Belgium all the way over to Australia.
2: <laughs> yeah, I've been running a similar center in Belgium for uh, five years, um, and in between, I've worked for Greenpeace International uh, for uh, almost yeah twenty years. That uh, I worked first Greenpeace Belgium, and then in Amsterdam, Greenpeace International for all the uh, activities or, uh, operations and then I came to Australia and and, and uh, found this opportunity
1: Oh well, we are really glad you did <laughs> so um, if we come back to what you're doing now here with the yep. reuse and repair centre how can you give us a bit more background than we might actually know you know how much is going to landfill that could be prevented? You know, how much is repairable? Sort of give us a bit of a a picture for how how big a difference we could make if we all adopted mm. some of these practices.
2: Well, a, a big difference could be made. Um, in exact numbers, I can't put on it, but there is, there is for example, an exercise that has been done a kind of a survey by uh, some uh, peer organizations that we work with in the sector. And um, they did this comparison between uh, the job creation that you can have, if you would say uh, that... Uh, I can't your exact data, let me think here. Was it um, 1,000 Tom, I think it was, that uh, they used as, a, as the reference number? and uh if that would be just dumped um then that creates one job and if you would start recycling it, you would create uh ten jobs and if you would reuse it, you create hundred jobs that's more or less the kind of uh, uh numbers you can look at from an economical spec perspective from job creation of course there is uh the environmental impacts that um you don't pollute, so there is a the climate impact that uh, you don't um, extend that problem. But there is also the the resources that are used to produce all those new products that will be saved if you don't uh, build uh, or, or produce every time products that needs to be thrown away at the end of the life cycle. So I don't have exact numbers for all of that, but in your introduction you mentioned yourself well, the, the the huge amount of waste that we still uh, throw away on a daily basis and, and you can break it down for clothing for example it's 23 kilo per person that we throw away for electronics it's 26 kilo per person per year that we throw away so there's a lot and and, and all of that can actually be reused uh, or at least a big chunk of it can be reused if you um, get your the attention that it deserves to, to then be able to, to reuse parts to uh, repair parts, that's a, that's a kind of a, an experience and a skill that, that you would need to uh, familiarize with, which we do, which we have a lot of, and which we think we want to share, should share with as many people. So the more people that can do that and understand how to do it, the more you can reuse and, and recycle and, and divert from landfill. And and in, in a way, once you go down that path, the sky is almost the limit. It's it's more a kind of a an, uh, believing and motivational thing than where it's doable, because it is doable. It's just a matter of the people wanting to do it and seeing the benefits and and taking the time and, and invest in it to do it. And and that's where it usually breaks down, that people don't want to spend time on it or don't want to pay for it and go for the cheaper solution from an uh, overseas or cheap alternative that is meant to be thrown away. Um, So it's largely also, in our view, an an element of being committed and convinced about the necessity of uh, reusing rather than whether it's doable. Another aspect of the same story is that there is not a lot of incentives currently um, to to support this idea of uh, using reuse and repair of items. Um, which is in other places like in Europe and in, in, in the U.S. already in place, like the, the right, to rem- right to repair movement that exists in Europe where they have put legislation in place for uh, tax deductibility of repairs rather than the normal tax that you should pay. Um, and the same for products that uh, manufacturers introduce in, in, in Europe, they have an obligation. In France, is that the case? And in England, they're introducing parts of that as well. Uh, they need to provide spare parts for at least two years, which then allows the buyer the option to, to buy something that can be repaired. So it, it's it's also that aspect that the government should, should uh, create incentives for uh, reuse and repair of items. And those elements together, if, if that would be, Uh, The motivation of the people and the incentives is that would be uh, supported. I think a lot more can be reused and repaired.
1: I agree. My husband's an avid repairer and he'll have a go at anything to make it go again. And um, if we could write that off on our tax, that would be fabulous.
2: Well, it's in, in Europe, it's already in place. So uh, that's something we should uh, work towards here as well. And that's what we do actually with the campaign that we run, the Right to Repair campaign. It's a petition on our website. People can sign it. Uh, we are building a coalition with uh, uh, farmers with uh, in, the, in the car manufacturer. There are also people looking at that. Um, the, the, the green movement is looking at it. So um, all together, we, we hope we can convince the government to introduce some of this legislation here as well.
0: Excellent. Can you also tell us a little bit more about how the BOW provides affordable goods sourced from waste from the waste stream? to low-income earners and other disadvantaged groups in the communities. I know you've got lots of programs that you'll probably tell us about in a minute, but um, I was really interested to see that, um, you know, one of the great things that you're doing is, is helping those that are uh, perhaps less fortunate uh, in the community.
2: Yeah, that is true. This is indeed one of the programs we run, and it all comes down to this principle that we see ourselves as an, an organisation, Uh helping the environmental agenda, uh, sustainability, and and what they now call the uh, circular economy. Um, and so what we do is always based on the principle to, to increase the potential for reuse. And, and we then invest in all sort of programs for the work, workshops we do. We can talk about it later the the, the right to repair campaign that I mentioned, the sales of uh, second-hand goods, and also those programs where we partner with organizations looking after specific uh, groups of people who are in need of. Of household items, but not only household items. Who are in need of support, and now with the COVID nineteen, there are actually a lot more people that are struggling uh, to to uh, go about normal life and and, and costs and and um, access to uh, normal services. So we have for a couple of years, this is now developed a program, what we call the House to Home program, where we help uh, people uh, that are either victims of domestic violence or uh, refugees and we, we have uh, ten organizations we partner with who are specialized in assisting those people um, and we will work with them when they have people that they can move from temporary home to a permanent new home and um, at that point they usually need access to furniture and that's one of the problems that those organizations struggle with. So, uh, we they are expert in their field and we in the field of uh, rehoming goods and collecting them. So that's the partnership. We help them uh and they help us to divert more from them. So we have received funds and, and we, we continue to do crowdfunding campaigning. We actually currently run one uh to collect money for that as end of the financial year campaign. And um that money we use then to cover the cost for us to be able to give away for free those goods to those uh, people in need. And that's basically that program. So it's a win for the environment and it's a win for the community. That's how we see that.
0: So you get a lot of furniture that perhaps would normally be going to landfill and actually repurpose that and and repair it for that house-to-home program?
2: Correct, yes. We we have um, partnerships with uh, 21 Counts. That's another of partnerships than the one I mentioned with those uh, humanitarian organizations, but the 21 councils we partner with, they promote our service to collect goods uh, from their residents. We actually uh, have a service agreement and they pay us a fee to do that at no cost for those uh, residents that we come out with our truck or they can drop it off at our locations. And yes, we then... uh, uh repair them or if they're in good enough condition we put them immediately on the floor in our stores and then sell those goods at affordable prices because that's another element of our uh objective that we wanna keep the prices for those goods affordable for people on low income. And um, so that's how we return them to the community, all those goods. And we will look at the quality. If they're good enough, we just leave them. If not, we will upgrade them, or we will use the materials for other uh, products, like in the electronics and even for furniture. We reuse timber to build new furniture or to repair others. So that's a separate program we have. We have a separate places even for woodwork repair and for electronic repairs. And all those end products are made available then for indeed those group of people. And um, those specific groups, they don't have to pay for it. They just get it for free and we cover our costs with uh, crowdfunding campaigns and the fundraising programs we we run to cover our operational costs.
0: Excellent. So when you're saying with the councils, do the council pay you to pick up the goods? Is that what you were saying about the council's involvement there?
2: That's correct, yes. We have signed uh, what we call a collection and rehoming service agreement, and um, it's based on uh, a fee per dwelling that we charge them, and uh, there is then a, an agreement that spells out in detail what we do, uh, the KPIs, as they call that, that we have to live up to, which is uh, responding to every request and then uh, providing uh, reports on the not on the volume, the tonnage that we divert from landfill so on a quarterly basis. We provide that information, and um, in return, what they do is uh, promote our services on their websites, newsletters, etc., so that people have access to to this uh, service at no cost for their residents.
0: Excellent. And we also offer
2: them uh, workshops, but that's that's slightly a separate program. But yeah, they also bookers a lot for educational work for their residents and they have discounts if they are signing up for the service agreement.
0: I'm really interested to hear how yeah, successful that is working with councils and that you're working with 21 different councils. So do they still run their curb collection? I mean you see in lots of cities that they have a particular month or, or weeks that people can put items that they don't Uh, they no longer have use for on the curb is is that are you taking the place of that service in the those councils that you have an agreement with or is that a separate thing as well it
2: it is separate but yes it's also um in the extent of it um uh, we we see ourselves as the, the a step prior to putting it out on the curb and that's the kind of uh uh, education or, or information, whatever you want to call it, that we have to establish with each of the councils that they, uh, when, when their services who look after the curb collection are contacted by their residents, we, we advise them to first redirect them to us so that we can have a kind of a first choice of what, uh, a resident want to, uh, give away or, or, or doesn't need anymore. And then we will uh, look uh, at at what is uh, available. They will send us emails, but we now have an online system with a booking setup where they can uh, show pictures and and describe the items, and we will then respond by uh, saying yes, no, when we can come out. And once we have kind of uh, worked through that process with their residents and there are still items that we can't uh, accept, or that we wouldn't be able to direct to another place, then it's the council that will come out for the collection, the curb collection, as the final sort of step. And so, yeah, we help in that sense the councils with uh, reducing the volume of goods that go to landfill, and that's why they also support the program, um, because that's a, a, a benefit both financially and environmentally for the council.
0: Yes, a win win for everybody, I think. It's a yeah, great initiative. Yeah. And do you cover yeah. all of Sydney metropolitan yeah. area with, with your service?
2: Yes, we, we the, it's from uh, north of the bridge, from Hornsby to to South, uh with uh Solonshire and um uh, George River, sorry, Solon Shire is no longer part of the George River is the, the most south uh, council and then in the west it goes to uh and Cumberland and all the coastal towns. Um and all up, it's two and a half million people that are actually receiving uh, our information about our programs. And we see that actually as an equally important aspect of the relation with the councils. It's not just about collecting and diverting from landfill. It's also educating their people about the relevance and the importance of diverting from landfill. Um, and, and even more than that, and, and it's actually the, the, the sort of the uh, the latest kind of uh, campaign we are promoting now or, or launching is uh, we should not just um, divert from landfill and give away to charity organizations goods, but we should also start buying secondhand more because there is still an imbalanced situation between uh, what we are receiving as donations and what People want to buy secondhand, and, and um, we actually can't return it all to the community. And we have to say regularly, no, because we 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 can't simply process it because there's not enough interest to buy secondhand yet. And um, so that's another part of our uh, educational work that we uh, kind of uh, are now more prominently promoting that uh, buying secondhand should be the new normal. And and it's essential if we want to divert more from landfill. Without that, we we simply can't do it. And in a way, a lot of people are saying now we they give it to us so they recycle, but that's actually not really recycling. That's that's giving somebody else the responsibility to look after uh, your goods that you give away and you continue buying new. That's not really the solution. That's half of the solution, but it's not the full solution. And and we see that now. More and more people are getting used to not throwing it away, but giving it away to uh, charities like ours. But they still don't buy at the same space, uh, space, uh, speed, sorry, um, new items or, or second-hand items instead of new items. Um, that's where we hope we can see trend and, and, and want to continue uh, working on. That.
1: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And uh, my house is full of secondhand appliances and furniture and clothing. Excellent. So <laughs> we're doing a good service there, but that's mostly because Max is so good at fixing things. You know, he can take a punt on um, on buying a secondhand item, and if it doesn't sort of go perfectly, or or it does have a problem early on, he can he's pretty confident he can fix it or work out how to fix it.
2: Well, uh, that's what it comes down to, like you say, confidence in, in knowing how to do it uh, and having the time to do it as well, of course. And and that's where a lot of people have lost that knowledge and confidence. Uh, there's uh, in the old days, uh, people did just that, repairing and 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 holding on to items, and and that knowledge has been lost from and not being handed over from generations to generations. And and nowadays it's the throw away culture that you buy it um, and you know in, in a couple of years you will throw it away because that's that's what you are expected to do. That's also how the, the trends and the promotion is set up that you need to renew it every couple of years. Um, but it's also the industry that designs products in a way that it becomes very difficult to repair. The, the plant obsolescence, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that term, but uh, the industry, the electronics industry specifically is quite good at that, uh, to design products that you actually can't repair unless, again, you are a bit familiar and trained and even have special tools. And even then, it might be difficult. Like they, more and more electronic items are glued together without a screw. And, and when that is the case, you almost know that it's impossible to open it, well you can probably open it but you can't close it again because <laughs> then, then uh, it's broken. And so you need to be a bit creative then to find ways around that problem, which we are, but that's that's kind of uh, the motivation and, and, and the handyman uh, kind of uh, hobbies that will do that. But the industry is not helping you in that regard and they, they sort of drive you to the direction of uh, throw it away mm. and buy a new one.
0: And I think a lot of Repair center well, so-called repair centres. You know, if something, you know, say like a, a washing machine or a toaster or, or something like that, there's something goes wrong with it and stops working. They actually charge you an awful amount of money, I've found, to actually even have a look. Not necessarily to repair it. They say we will charge yep. you X amount of dollars just to see what's wrong. And and if they can't fix it, you still have to pay that money. Which is a deterrent, as you say. It's it's not encouraging people to, to actually fix things at all.
2: Exactly. And this is where we then also say that this right to repair the the tax deductibility of the cost for a repair. Would uh, be an incentive in itself, but you're right. Uh, it, it's made very expensive, um, and and most repairs are no longer repairing the parts; it's throwing away the parts that are broken and replacing them, and and that is an expensive exercise in a way. And yeah, some of those parts are actually very cheap if you if you know where to find them, if you know what it is that you need to replace. If you can open it and close it, you actually can um, for for ten, fifteen, twenty dollars small parts that are vital parts. Then um, you can keep going with your item for a long time if if you know where to 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 find those and how to access it. And that's what we actually do constantly in our electronic workshop. For furniture, it's it's similar, but it's slightly differently organized, but. Um, and and we even allow people with the repair cafes as we call it to come with their own item and we assist them we we advise them on how they can actually learn to do that themselves and they have uh, access to our tools, to our experts they they will assist to make sure it's happening in a safe and responsible way and those repair cafes are actually very popular nowadays Um, and, and a lot of councils that's what I was saying. The councils also uh, book us for not just the collection of goods, but also for those workshops and, and repair cafes for their own residents to promote reuse and repair. That's all quite popular nowadays and growing constantly. So that's the good side.
1: You've got me on this tax-deductible, you know, repairs thing and, and you've probably also got me on the tool library because my bank account would have a lot more money in it if Max didn't buy a new tool for everything he fixed. So t- tell us a little bit more about the tool library and then maybe you'd like to pick one of your other favourite programs to tell the listeners about as well.
2: Sure. Yeah, the the tool library, we call it an e-tool library. It's for electronic uh, tools only so far. There are more two libraries in the country and in, in the West as well. Uh, but ours is specialized in the uh, electronic tools because uh, that's in the extent of our uh, electronic workshop that we offer that now. And uh, well, it, the, the philosophy behind it is uh, if you need a hole in a wall, you're not necessarily have to buy a drill for that. You just uh, use one or that is available in the community and you return it afterwards so you like a book that you would uh, borrow you borrow now a drill to do exactly that and um, it's a circular economy principle behind that as well that you don't have to to buy everything and then have it stored or sitting there for for a long time there are actually even uh, studies that have been done how many hours a drill is really used if you buy it and you would be surprised that it's uh, very, very low the number of hours that every tool will be really used. So if you bring them together in a central place where the community has access to this, it, 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 it's it's uh, saving resources. It's uh, more reuse of the same material. And um, you also can actually then even uh, get better quality. So that's what we offer with this uh, E2 library. People can book. For, uh, we, I think we currently have 50 different uh, electronic devices available. It's all on our website as well. It doesn't cost anything to use it except that you need to be a member and pay a bond uh, in case it's broken or that you can't bring it back. Then, then we will hold on to the bond to, to repair it. But besides that, it's free.
1: That sounds fabulous. Well, we've got a little bit of time left. I'd love to hear more about the right to repair petition, but you've already mentioned it a couple of times. Um, maybe have you another program that you'd that would be really perfect to talk about right now?
2: Yeah, the tiny house program. I was I'm not sure if you. Have that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I can pick a few more, but tiny house is actually a, a popular one as well. Um, and um, maybe I can put it in the context of why we do that. Um, it, and, and a lot of what we do, repair cafes is similar, the right to repair is in a way also in the extent of the same philosophy, is that we want to bring the idea of reuse and repair in the in the mindset of people, from uh, not just from the idea that it is a waste that needs to be given a second life, because if you talk about waste, it has a negative connotation. And we want to see this as a, uh, a sustainable way of thinking and living uh, more than anything else. And that um, we should look at those goods no longer as waste, but as a materials that can have a second life and, and be reused. And um, we always come up or, or try to find ways and, and programs and projects that are inspiring then for people to, to engage in reusing material. We also have the Art from Trash exhibition, for example, that we have uh, initiated last year. But this one, Tiny House, is uh, all about demonstrating how you can reuse uh, reclaimed building material. And um, the Tiny House movement this is a growing movement. Uh, we 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 jumped on the opportunity in, uh, five years ago but when it was still very small in Australia. There was not a lot of uh, uh, interest or, or people active in it. There was not even a movement at that time. And, and we were approached by a builder who, who wants to do that as an exercise for himself to build a tiny house with reclaimed building material. And he did it at our space in Marrickville, And that's where we got the idea ourselves that there is actually... Because he got a lot of interest People came out, wanted to see, wanted to hear why and how. And it, it, it's clearly a kind of a skill that you need to develop how you can uh, reuse that building material to clean it, to make it um, uh, yeah, reusable. There is a bit of work in that regard involved. So, and he then built the whole tiny house. And uh, that's where we got the idea that we actually could uh, do that on a, on a larger scale, on a regular basis. And we now have for the last five years been running, um, every year a course, at least one, sometimes two, uh, where people can learn how to build a tiny house. we actually do it with, with a group of 15 people. Um, and at the end of that course, we have a, a tiny house that we can then sell as a fundraiser for the organization. Um, and, and the houses we build, we call them finished a lock-up stage, which means the interior is actually not finalized, which allows the the, the external side is is, is okay and it's waterproof and it's insulated and all of that. Windows doors locked, etc. But the inside is still kind of an empty shelf. shelf, And the the buyer can then turn it into whatever project they have in mind where they want to have it as an office or sleeping accommodation, nanny flats, you name it. Uh, campsites, it's all possible. It depends on the interest that the buyer has with it, on so, And that's how we uh, have been promoting that. And, and every year we sell uh, end product and we actually sold our last tiny house to, three weeks ago for 21000 or as an income for the organisation.
0: And they're awesome. I've, I've watched the videos of them on your website and they are fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What a great idea of, of, one, is the reusing and repurposing the building material, but also showing people the how-to in terms of doing it themselves. And, and then as a fundraiser as well, it's, it's a great, great initiative.
2: Yeah, it's something where we think we, there's still a lot of uh, room to, to increase the number of houses we build and the number of participants. And it's the only course of that nature that exists in Australia. So, um, in that sense, there there's probably a lot of uh, opportunities for us there to continue.
0: Do you have any tips for people who want to fix something instead of replacing it or buying a new one, but don't know where to start or how to go about it? What what would be their first step?
2: Yeah. Well, thanks to COVID nineteen, in a way, we now have a a new program I'm online. Uh, works is a title of the new program uh, and it's a, a special site and, and uh, program that we run where we have plenty of video clips, short clips and more extended versions and, and documentation about how you can do repairs. So and that's all available on our website. That's one of the two things that people should get their head around. One is understanding the uh, environmental impact of uh, continuing with buying and throwing away. And and that people should start looking at the, the total cost of the full life cycle of a product when they produce it, what they consume in terms of raw material. And then after it's used, when they throw it away, what the environmental impact is then. So if, if people get aware of the full life cycle and the environmental impact, that usually is the best motivation for people to become active and 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 motivate in in them learning and training yourself in uh, how you can reuse and repair items. And then of course there is some skills if you want to do it yourself. That's the, that's the way you should do it. You have to train yourself because there is some safety and and and. Uh, rules to follow, especially with electronic items that you need to make sure you don't uh, burn your house or yourself. Uh, And there There are simple rules, but you should be aware of them before you do anything. If you don't want to do it yourself. You can, of course, come to organizations like ours and ask us to do it. We have paid service for that sort of purpose as well. We build bespoke furniture from reclaimed building material. Those are all options that are available. Once you understand the the benefits, the environmental benefits, um, then we can help you with training you or doing it for you. And there are more organizations, although I would say... Not that many uh, go that far in in developing courses and and offering those kind of bespoke uh, furniture and, and repairs. So that's one of our, I would say, unique services that that we offer to the community.
0: I think you have more initiatives than um, we we certainly have time to to discuss. But it's an amazing centre. So congratulations on all the initiatives that you're doing and and being around for so long and and obviously um for a lot lot longer no doubt too with all these new initiatives that are that are coming on board all the time so it's uh, it's a really great center i just wish i lived closer to uh, to marrickville if you're listening to this podcast and you live in sydney I would get yourself down to either Parramatta or Marrickville and take advantage of all the wonderful initiatives that Bower Reuse and Repair Centre are offering because it really is truly amazing.
2: Yeah, and you find it on the website as well www.bower.org.au. So that's a good starting point.
1: Yeah, I'll certainly be jumping on there and adding my name to the petition for the right to repair.
0: And we encourage everybody else to do that. So jump on the website and we will put the website details in the show notes as well. And you also have a Facebook page.
2: That's correct, yes, and an Instagram page also.
0: We will put those links into the show notes so people can find out where you are. So, look, thank you very much. We really appreciate it and it's very exciting to hear all the great things that you're doing at Bauer.
2: No worries. Thanks for uh, inviting me.
1: Our pleasure. It's been great having you. See you. If you've enjoyed this conversation and know people who'd be interested in knowing more about this topic, then show them you care and send them the link to this podcast. To keep up with our Gutsy Matters conversations, subscribe and share with your friends.
0: For extras, follow Stored Naturally on Facebook and Instagram.
1: Gutsy Matters podcast is brought to you by Stored Naturally.
0: We are the creators of the all-natural hemp fresh produce enhancer, for longer lasting and healthier fresh food kept in the fridge. Available at storednaturally.com.